y'all. My name is Peter. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about DARVO, which stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. But first, how are you, Carl? I am... I'm pretty good. I'm excited. This type of conversation, this type of podcast makes me nervous because there's like... It's more like facts and stuff that we have to relate, opposed to just talking about our thoughts and our feelings, which is weirdly an easier podcast to put together. Yeah. So I'm nervous about this one. This is also going to be the final episode of season four. So it's been a cool journey with you, Peter, to do two full seasons of Do You Even Lift Bro. I'm a little sad that this season's coming to an end, and I don't know how much I should reveal, but the future of the podcast is slightly uncertain. So yeah. this could be one of the last episodes for a while. That kind of makes me sad. It really makes me sad, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. How are you? Uh, well, I'm still a little sick, so Boo. I'm sorry. If my, you don't have to apologize for being sick. My my laughs are going to be really gross, and I might cough in the background. And entertaining. It will be funny, but... <laughs> oh, gosh. Gross. It's so gross. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, I'm really excited to talk about this, too. It seems like a nice little wrap-up for what we've done this season, and I don't know. I'm like really proud of the, how this season has come out. I think we've had some of our best episodes this season, especially since I've been here. So, I don't know. I'm sad that this podcast might be in its last leg, but... I am really like happy that I was a part of it and have something to like remember it by. Word. Okay, let's get into it. So what is Darvo? We're talking about Darvo today. Darvo again stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim Offender. It was coined by a Dr. Jennifer Freed, F-R-E-Y-D. Sorry if I mispronounced it. I'm bad. I assume she as well is a professor of psychology at the University of Oregon. She describes it as a reaction perpetrators of wrongdoing, particularly sexual offenders, may display in response to being held accountable for their actions. So it's a pattern of behavior that those who are accused of wrongdoing or causing harm, and in her particular case, she says sexual offenders, the common behavior that happens when they're accused or confronted about it is that they deny that they attack and then they reverse the victim and offender roles in the situation. So we thought. Hey, yeah. that's mostly dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should talk about it. Yeah, it sounds um, like a cool podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I do think there's so much power in being able to name behaviors, particularly for men who are trying to hold other men accountable to being harmful and or oppressive. And also for survivors who are experiencing this level of what I would call gaslighting. Like there are very real psychological impacts of having Darvo being done to you. And we'll get into that a little bit. But what I wanted to ask you first, Peter, was what first came to mind when I was like, Darvo, um, we should do it. Yeah. Other I, than like, the f is that? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the first thought. But once I started learning about it, it was really interesting to like name certain of these aspects and just like knowing what the acronym is. You can easily think of like someone in the media, like maybe R. Kelly or Brett Kavanaugh that experienced these types of things. But honestly, like what I did when I first heard this thing is I internalized it for sure and tried to like think about how I might be enacting Darvo because, you know, within this podcast, we like to make sure that we're not just being on other people, but like <laughs> yeah. internalizing and doing some self-reflection. So I did some self-reflection. I realized that like Darvo isn't just for sexual offense. Mm -hmm. It's also for like, I don't know, like I remember I was thinking about it like I forgot to call my partner one time and they were really upset at me. And I was like, what the hell? And I started doing like all of these actions of mm. Darvo. And I'm like, holy like naming this is so interesting and it's so interesting to see like just like naming it makes it more recognizable because that's like the whole point of manipulation and gaslighting mm, yeah. is that the second party isn't supposed to know that they're being manipulated or gaslighted. Yeah, I think for me too, it's 
it provides a, a framework on which to work against, right? Like I've always been a proponent of like knowing your opponent helps you be a better advocate, a better social justice minded, valued person, yeah. because you need to be able to recognize problematic behaviors that may be normalized and bring them to the light. And I think Darvo accomplishes that for us really well. So I'm really excited to kind of get into it again. I mean, you mentioned the first time you heard it, you internalize it. I think I did the same thing. Like I learned about it in the context of R. Kelly. I saw an, an article that said like, this is classic Darvo. And I'm like, what's that? The hell? Yeah. <laughs> so it's I clicked classic. on it <laughs> and then they sort of outlined it. And then I looked into uh, Dr. Freed's stuff and some of the other studies that you and I collectively kind of did the research on. And I know that I have both perpetrated and experienced Darvo. Yeah. And so I thought that, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's important information to know and apply to our lives. And maybe this type of, I don't know, it's more of a psychological avenue towards addressing gender dynamics. And that might appeal to some people over others. Yeah. One of the studies that we looked at from the Journal of Aggression, Maltreatment and Trauma titled Perpetrator Responses to Victim Confrontation, Darvo and Victim Self-Blame by a Sarah Harsey. One of the things that I've also observed is that it's mostly women doing this kind of research. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, predictable. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's not interesting. I would say it's predictable, but also like the victims of this type of gender dynamic are the ones that are more interested in finding the source to it, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. You and I were both completely ignorant to it at first, right? or they don't want to address it. Yeah, and I think it continues the pattern of us needing to recognize how much of women's work we are using to leverage this, not against dudes, but with dudes to like make the world a better place. Like, yeah, we're not necessarily doing anything original. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing, sure. we, yeah, nothing we have said is original. It's someone somewhere has said it before and it's probably was a woman, probably a woman of color. Yep. Shout outs to all the women doing the hard work. Uh, ooh, ooh. Now for a segment that I like to call reading from articles. Woo. So this is one of the couple of things that I thought were important for us to know about Darvo in particular and legitimizing the concept. The short of it is that the researchers asked 1,300 men who are convicted of domestic violence a series of questions. And here are some of the results. A substantial minority of perpetrators denied that any argument with their partner had taken place at all. A vast majority of perpetrators responded with at least one form of minimization of an incident, agreeing, for example, that the, quote, situation got blown out of proportion or that quote, the police made the incident sound much worse than it actually was. And those are a couple of the phrases to look out for when Darvo is happening, when someone says something like it got blown out of proportion. Yeah. Or, or like, that she was down. overreacting. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Like right? calm down. Like this is getting out of hand. It's like we're not even arguing about the thing that we were first arguing about. Like yes. trying to tamp it down. So it makes the other person just seem kind of crazy. Exactly. And like losing their mind and make them seem as the rational one. Right. So that's a common response to someone who has caused harm. And for this particular stat, it seemed like it was in the binary in terms of like both men and women exhibited this particular behavior. Over half of the perpetrators reported at least one item corresponding to victim blaming. And the most frequent excuse basically was that the victim had a problem with jealousy. That was the most frequently used phrase in terms of links to victim blaming. Perpetrators of sexual violence and or relationship violence seem to use jealousy as a reason to not take responsibility for the abuse that they're causing. Yeah. Because if the other party is experiencing all these feelings... First off, that's a bad thing if you're a perpetrator. Right. Like the person is experiencing feelings. So 
I guess the tactic that most of these perpetrators take is to like minimize those feelings to make them feel not as important and then to blame the victim for even having those feelings in the first place. Yes. So they don't have to take any responsibility for what they've done. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what primarily the process of Darvo does for someone who is doing it who is denying, attacking, and reversing victim offender is to really shed responsibility and accountability for the actions that they're being confronted about. Okay, so this is a real-time behavior that I think once we name it and then see it, we're more prepared to address it and dismantle it in the moment. Another stat here that I pulled out from this study is that 78% of rapists who are like denying anything attack the victim's integrity by claiming that they were known prostitutes that they were whores that they had children out of wedlock or had an otherwise supposedly blameworthy sexual reputation right so those who were convicted of rape and then denied that they did it 78 percent of them targeted the sexual history of their victim okay and then knowing that 98 percent of rapes are perpetuated by men, it can be assumed that the women's sexuality is an easy target for perpetrators to like relieve themselves of the responsibility of being a rapist. Yeah. I think within a lot of these discussions about like Darvo and victim blaming is that we tend to separate them and look at them individually and then not really Mm. like have them come together into one behavior. Right. A denying offender or something like that. They're not going to be exhibiting just one of the behaviors that we're talking about today. They're going to probably experiencing all of them at once. And so what I think is really interesting about this uh, whole study is that, yes, we do. We have talked about victim blaming on this podcast before. And I feel like for people just getting into social justice, like victim blaming is a good like foundation to learn about like the gender dynamics and power control. But what I think is interesting is that it's a tool that people use when they're exhibiting behaviors such as Darvo. Yes. And it's not just victim blaming. It's like victim blaming on top of like denying it, on top of reversing the victim order, on top of like all these things. And it becomes like a lot more inclusive and holistic of a theory of somebody's behavior versus just like slut shaming is bad. (laughs) Where we're like, no, there's like serious patterns that huge surprise women have noticed and have done research (laughs) about that offenders keep experiencing. That's why I think it's so interesting is that it's a pattern and Mm -hmm. that you can see it. Like when you know what Darvo is, it's really easy to see. Yes. Agreed. You put together a sequence of ideas there that I think is really compelling because part of the reason why particularly institutions of higher education or any level of prevention education around interpersonal violence targets busting rape myths is because when the reaction is like victim blaming, if you bust that myth in the very beginning, then it's less likely that that reaction will be victim blaming. It's more likely that men in particular will start holding themselves accountable because they understand that those are myths. Okay, so that's the theory behind the education around making sure that we bust a myth that perpetrators are strangers in the bushes or that it happens at equal rates or that what women wear that causes rape to happen or whatever, right? The sequence of ideas that you strung together illustrates for me the logic behind the majority of prevention education in higher ed in particular. Yeah, I would say that's a good first step. No, like programs that you do around that kind of thing. Like, like, you know, I'm in Red Whistle Brigade and whenever I do a program, it feels like I'm like on this journey with them and then I'm learning with them. And no matter what I'm teaching, I'm still learning something new. For sure. However, I think that anyone who's listening to this podcast or wants to get into social justice without stepping on any toes, I think this is like a necessary second level to go down Mm. and understand 
and that, you know, I feel like we've covered a lot of topics in isolation throughout this semester. And I think this is one of the few topics that we'll cover that brings them all together and be like, okay, this is the second step, basically. Word. Okay, so what's interesting about the study is the discussion results, okay? So here are some of the findings that they had that I pulled out that I thought was relevant to us. So they found that expressions of DARVO, so when someone is confronted, the expressions of DARVO are different depending on the confronter's gender. So what they found was there was less DARVO happening when men confront people about their wrongdoing around sexual violence, but the expression of DARVO is heightened or increased when women do the confrontation around sexual violence, which confirms our bias or reality that men have more credibility around conversations in gender and or sexual violence than women do. I would also want to know, since the number of perpetrators are overwhelmingly men, I would want to know like that kind of level of like a man talking to a man versus a woman talking to a man. Mm. And like, we're going to bring up some examples of like that actually happening, of like a woman confronting a man for his wrongdoings and him just completely losing it. But um, I think it's really interesting, like, and it kind of goes into like kind of gender dynamics within like heterosexual couples versus like Mm. homosexual or like polyamorous, like different types of couples. I would wonder if there's a difference. I'm sure it's different, but I would wonder what the dynamic would be is if like the victim was a man and the perpetrator was a man as well. And then the victim came to his perpetrator and be like, you're doing that. Okay. Because when we had Sage on the podcast, he discussed how there are different like power dynamics within how you exhume femininity and masculinity. Mm. And so I would wonder if like those types of gender roles, they may be different, but also similar in some ways because of those types of prejudices. Right. So is it necessarily a sex assigned at birth or your gender expression versus this ideas and concepts that we have around femininity and masculinity that impacts your ability to hold someone accountable? Yeah. yeah. Great question. I would also want to know what like it looks for polyamorous relationships because okay. it seems very monogamous. Probably. And I would. We're also assuming that it's a rape within a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. We're. I mean, we're getting in the weeds a little bit, and it sounds like you could be doing some cool research. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just saying, like, if anyone wants to do that, go for it. Go for it. Take. Take my idea. I uh, just credit me. Drop my Insta, and I'll be fine. And or link the podcast. Okay. (laughs) I think another really interesting and important finding from this survey study thing is that the more Darvo an individual was exposed to during a confrontation, the more likely the confronter and or the victim, I think, simultaneously here, experienced self-blame regarding the incident that provoked the confrontation in the first place. In our context, survivors who confront their perpetrators, the higher the level of DARVO the perpetrator expresses, the higher level of self-blame the victim experiences. Yeah. Okay, so that's important for the context of this not just like, I mean, it's it's much rarer for a victim slash survivor to like have the opportunity to confront their perpetrator. Yeah. And it's even rare for them to want to. And so yeah. the other thing that came out of this particular finding is that it doesn't have to be major confrontations to have this effect. For example, if you're let down by a friend, like if someone flakes on you, for example, maybe one of your earlier examples, Peter, of like you forgot to call or something like that. Even in those situations, if 
someone is exposed to DARVO, there's also a chance that they will experience self-blame for smaller things like that. So if we go back to the context of relationships, if DARVO is happening in small doses throughout the entire relationship and then it culminates into some level of abuse, we start to understand the pattern of like why survivors and victims of relationship abuse seem to have much higher instances of self-blame for like, oh, this is my fault for him or her treating me this way or them treating me this way because of the long-term effects of DARVO. And I thought that was like super illuminating in terms of my understanding of how relationship violence works. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, we're not saying that if you exhibit DARVO specific behaviors, you're going to become a rapist or something. (laughs) Right. It's just kind of like, if you are seeing these types of behaviors in your relationship and you fail to recognize it, and even if somebody does bring it up and you just deny it and you like exhibit DARVO to DARVO accusations of you (laughs) experiencing DARVO, like it's, it's a relationship and you're, and you're being a person. Once we name these things and once we put more awareness on them, that's when people will have more power to like recognize these types of things. Like it's not just the survivor's responsibility to like call out these behaviors. It's our responsibility as men and and like men in relationships is to recognize when we do up and know how to navigate that instead of just like experiencing this acronym that I think it's so funny that like it's now a thing, you know, it's now like an acronym that's so patterned and people have done it so much <laughs> yeah. over the course of like generations Yep, that it's like, dude, you're being real Darvo right now. I'm <laughs> like, so oh, Dar- <laughs> <laughs> the study is pretty clear that anyone can expose other people to Darvo. Yeah. <laughs> we're do you even live pro. So we're going to talk about dudes exp- <laughs> expressing Darvo. Right. Boys club. <laughs> and if we're going to be like kind of real about it, if the behavior is specific to perpetuating sexual violence, then yes, we need to start looking more at men who are doing it because we are probably the group that is doing it the most. Yeah. Uh, when right. we saw that statistic about like how the expressions were different and like at different levels when the confronter was a different gender, like, of course, it's gendered. Like, of yes. course, we're going to be talking about the dude aspect of it it makes me think like why is it a tactic that is so familiar to dudes like why is it that we are able to do this to the extent where it's incredibly predictable for men to behave this way when they're accused of sexual assault and the answer i think is that it works yeah which is yeah it's a tactic i mean it's a strategy and that's why i think it's so funny is that this strategy is so effective that we had to put a name to it yeah okay and so that's why we're going to kind of go through and demonstrate how it works and the success of it by using brett kavanaugh now supreme court justice and yeah and r kelly which were i mean the success is defined differently but like accusations against r kelly have been happening for a decades yeah okay? so it worked in the sense that he had a ton of success up to this point and still has lots of defenders for his behavior and his music in particular so yeah we're using those two examples to sort of demonstrate how it happened what to look out for and as like very clear public media examples of darvo in full effect and it alleviates these particular men from consequence yeah before we get into it are kelly and specific I think a lot of these times, like when people are experiencing Darvo, like especially on the reverse victim offender Mm. part, you want to feel sympathy for them and like they don't know better. Yeah. But I would argue that R. Kelly especially 
is a master at this tactic because okay. he has been like using it for like a decade in his entire career. And like you could go down the man's entire musical history and like see that with every platinum record, there's, you know, a sexual assault allegation. Yep. Like you can that's literal. You can see that. So I think while we'll be looking at them with a refined scope, but also these people are probably experts at darvo and know exactly what they're doing and know exactly how it affects other people yeah and the confirmation from outside of it working too right so this process that we're going through is both hopefully a self-reflective process but also be able to see how darvo is systemically supported by appointments to being the highest judge in the land yeah. and or getting millions and millions of dollars and so here is another rendition of reading from an article. I'm reading from a Rogatwe Wanjuki article here. Kavanaugh's opening remarks are a masterclass in a common sexual abuser defense tactic from the Daily KOS. She just kind of literally quotes him throughout the whole thing, right? So he denies ever doing it, the Dean Darvo. He literally said, I denied the allegation immediately, unequivocally, and categorically. And then he goes on to this attack, okay? And this is all video evidence, so feel free to torture yourself by watching it. Yeah. He attacks, right? This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked by my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars and money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. Okay, so... It sounds ridiculous <laughs> like that sounds yeah. like conspiracy theories i feel like i'm watching ancient aliens right now yeah well Gotway says kavanaugh basically calls dr ford a liar and part of some vendetta machine that decided to create decades of sexual predation to derail him yeah i just it's so, so there's precedent here too right with anita hill black woman who stood in front of a <laughs> jury or not even a jury Congress, much like Dr. Ford did. And I, I don't know, it's just, you see this very clear pattern starting to emerge as you look back historically. And then Kavanaugh insists that he's the real victim here. The day after the allegation appeared, I told this committee that I wanted a hearing as soon as possible to clear my name. I demanded a hearing for the very next day. Unfortunately, it took the committee 10 days to get to this hearing. In those 10 long days, as was predictable and as I predicted, my family and my name have been totally and permanently destroyed by vicious and false additional accusations. The 10-day delay has been harmful to me and my family, to the Supreme Court, and to the country. To the country? To the country. To the country of yeah. the U.S. Yeah, and so seeing the how it's not about recognizing that maybe you like raped someone and that's why these things are happening, but instead just doing the very real, like, this has been hurtful. So I'm the victim here. Yeah. Is the bow on the present that is Kavanaugh's defense and Darvo reactions to the Senate committee. Yeah. Like how, how much is 10 days? Like, I feel like you being a rapist has affected this person their entire life. Yes. And how that pain and like trauma has like been with them, especially like looking up to a man in power as like the perpetrator and then once you finally have the enough courage to put him on blast in front of everyone and then have you come on stage in front of the entire country and have you being scrutinized and cross-examined like what the f is 10 <laughs> days worth and this is where the it works category really raises up for me right because society as a whole has no understanding of the trauma that sexual violence can cause like it's not in the mainstream frontal consciousness of the difficulties it is 
in surviving and trying to thrive through the trauma of sexual violence. But the very public, <laughs> it makes logical sense in a white supremacist patriarchal world that these men who are accused of sexual assault are the real victims because it couldn't have possibly happened based on this this man that already has like high status as a man. And in Brett Kavanaugh's case, cis, hetero, white man. Got that, money too. And money, rich, good. That status alone loans him so much more credibility that saying like, this is actually impacting me. I can see how people buy into it and I can see how it works. And it did work in this particular case because he is currently sitting as a Supreme Court justice judge. I think that's something really to look out for. You talked about like this logic within white supremacy is making like these men the victims. And like when I hear that, my brain immediately fires off an alarm mm-hmm. of like, dude, this up. Like, don't listen to this person anymore. Like yeah. my mom sent me this article about like this guy, this author who thinks that we're going through a boy crisis <laughs> and how like men are more statistically like blah, blah, blah to like commit suicide and like they're victims of false rape accusations. I'm just like, that's all perpetrated by men though. Yes. The high suicide rates for men is because of the man box and like patriarchy (laughs) and like, you know, racism and all these things. Like men are experiencing all of this bad stuff that I don't think even is comparable to people who have less privileged identities. And then they blame it on the world and they're, they're the victims and they're the ones. And women. Yeah, feminists are the bad part because they're trying to f- everything up that was so great beforehand yeah. for you, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting. So I would say if you hear like, because they're always very well logic researched opinions and, you know, they might make sense to you. And they at first I was like, oh, yeah, like I could get behind this. Like men do go through some shit. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. no, this is totally like logicking things out and not thinking with your actual mind, but just with numbers. I do think that we can simultaneously express concern for the higher rates of violence that men are perpetuating onto others and to ourselves. Like, you know, we should be concerned about men basically, in my interpretation, not having the tools and the skills to to be resilient in times of stress and difficulty. Yeah. When we don't have the skills necessary to make genuine connections with other humans to make life worth living. That is a crisis that we should be concerned about. And what's tough, I think, what our job is to understand the actual root of the problem opposed to saying it's feminist's fault or I don't even know. I can't yeah. I can't make the argument because <laughs> yeah. it's nonsensical for feminizing men. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Like if that was the case, then women just would off themselves <laughs> like yeah. just for being women. And that's not <laughs> happening. Right. So it's just I just I don't understand it anyway. Yeah. You want to talk about R. Kelly? Yeah. So we've discussed like how I would say formal Brett Kavanaugh's like denial and then attacking and then reverse victim order is because he wrote it out and had it scanned by like a billion lawyers. <laughs> now, I would think this is a little bit it's it's different, but this is R. Kelly blowing up in that sense. And like he has this very emotional breakdown when he's being interviewed by CBS and by, by no. Gail King. Gail King is the interviewer interviewing R. Kelly about all of these allegations, especially after the documentary came out, Surviving R. Kelly. And she's asking him the questions. And so notice how he has this such a visceral emotional reaction. And we've already discussed about how the confronter's gender matters when the perpetrator is like being confronted by applications of Darvo. So like, listen to this and check it out. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this. I gave y'all 30 years of my 
Robert. It's, so he stands up and he starts yelling at everyone. He starts yelling at the entire like camera crew and not just Gail King. He's exhibiting a lot of interesting body language. Like he's taking off his lapel mic. He's standing up. He's like physically on a higher plane than Gail King. And I think I'm going to shut up because I don't do this justice. But Renee Graham does this really great analyzation or analyzing R. Kelly's behavior when it comes to Darvo. So let's take a listen. You know, I, what was shocking to me about the interview was I, I think that R. Kelly and his people perhaps thought this would be able to paint him as a more sympathetic figure. And if that was the goal, I think it failed miserably. It, it, it came off looking like the latest chapter of Trapped in the Closet. You know, he was unhinged. He was overwrought. Um, he was evasive. So, I, I, you know, that's what really came off to me. It came off as someone who was trying to manipulate um, the audience. Um, the way he allegedly has manipulated these women. Renee Graham talks, uh, does this great point of like how R. Kelly probably came into this interview trying to get sympathy. And what's interesting is that he isn't like expressing Darvo to one person. I mean, it's kind of centered about around Gail Kane, who's the interviewer. But she says that he's trying to manipulate the entire audience mm -hmm. to how he manipulated the women in his past. Yeah. Uh, again, just being able to name and see it on an exaggerated scale is one thing. Being able to do it on a smaller scale, both internally and externally, is another thing. So hopefully with some of the theory and explanation of Darvo, we can get to a place where we can start holding ourselves and others accountable to exhibiting this because there are very real harmful effects to the people who experience it. Right. Yeah. So, so what, so what are some of the, like, what, what is the point here, Peter? Like, what are we doing? I think there's a link between self blame and exposure to Darvo. And I think naming it and like making it aware is potentially can mitigate some of the negative impacts on victims and survivors, because that's what the big goal is, is to like make life easier and more just bearable for mm -hmm. victims and survivors versus like not men. Yeah. So like that's what we're trying to we may have focused on two specific men, but like we have to focus around like victims and survivors and how that naming this can help their lives in a much better way. Yeah, right. So as a support person for someone who is potentially a survivor or victim, or if you know that they're a survivor or victim, and I mean, Davro, I think can happen not just with confronting a perpetrator, but even just like disclosing your story to anybody. Yeah. And so if you're listening to someone you're supporting and they start describing Darvo like behaviors from the people that they're talking to, it can be a very good way to support someone by saying, hey, that sounds like Darvo, which is deny, attack, and then reverse victim of an offender. And it has shown to have like negative effects. Like, is that something that you're feeling? I think it can be a really powerful support tool if that's the position that you're in. Yeah, because it, it'll then make them feel like they're not alone with this type of behavior. Mm, yeah. And so like if we're able to name it and then like if we are supporting survivors and they start naming off Darvo um, behaviors, first of all, don't do Darvo yourself. Do like that, that, that's <laughs> a big it. message. Stop it. But also if you can be like, yeah, that sounds like Darvo. I think that would make the victim or survivor feel a lot more like validated because mm. this is there is research around it you could print out articles if you want to but like just like making it aware will validate what happened for sure a lot and more. i do think finding an internal way to gauge it can be really really hard okay and i think it can be really really hard because just because someone is doing a darvo response it doesn't necessarily indicate guilt yeah. but if you root it in the context of like white supremacy and patriarchy like if someone starts 
Like, I think I, I can see Darvo reactions happening from men when people are like, all men are trash. Yeah. Deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender happens in those types of situations too, right? So it's interesting to think about Darvo reactions happening on a massive scale because you and I as men in a patriarchy feel like probably that or we are <laughs> perpetrators of gender depression. Yeah. Right. And so when we're confronted about that, I think the Darvo response, something that we're trained to do, can kick in. So even thinking about the times that I have been told that I caused harm or that I was behaving in a male-centered, male-dominant way, I have had plenty of Darvo types of reactions to that because it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't I mean, want it's painful to-, to realize all that stuff. And yeah. like... But if you're experience, if you're expressing Darvo, it's kind of like a slap in the face to the person who cares enough about you mm. to even confront you about like the problematic behavior that you've been expressing. So like, first off, just appreciate that they're willing to let you know about something you've been up on. They wouldn't disclose that information if they first off didn't care about you and didn't want you to get better. So take it for what it is, which is feedback is love. And I think this is a big internal exercise, too, because... I've I've been expressing Darvo like since day one. And so and I feel like it's taught to me to be effective. So but there are more effective ways and more enriching ways to navigate like an argument or if somebody confronts you with something where you have to take a certain level of responsibility for it Mm -hmm. and know how to like come back from that. For sure. And remember, like if you're supporting someone and they're like, you know, I don't really want any real consequence to happen to my perpetrator. I just don't want them to do it to someone else ever again. Remember, it's okay to offer, like, do you want me to talk to him or them or whoever? Yeah. Knowing that it might actually have that effect, right? Like you have the unfortunate but also fortunate power and credibility to reduce Darvo-like reactions from the very fact that you look like and identify as a cis man, if that's how you identify, right? So using, if you don't identify that way using your male friends potentially or asking them to do that is an okay ask and for the men who are listening to like really step up to the plate like this is one of those very tangible areas where we could be doing work in a sense of like engaging in those conversations and then staying in those conversations is just a great way to support survivors and prevent violence in the future yeah awesome last episode done after this week do it for this episode of do you even lift bro men exercising social justice if you have feedback thoughts comments questions or want to be interviewed for a podcast because this is the last one uh, <laughs> just joking <laughs> if you have feedback thoughts comments questions or want to be interviewed for a podcast please email wgac at colostate.edu that's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e.edu huge shout out to the partnership between the women and gender advocacy center and kcsu here at colorado state university these are the folks that even allow us to do this podcast for more content about masculinities check out men in the movement.blogspot.com and for more information about the wgac go to wgac.colostate.edu for more 90.5 kcsu content go to kcsufm.com music production by xavier hadley aka zavley check him out at soundcloud.com slash xavier hadley that's x-a-v-i-e-r-h-a-d-l-e-y thanks everyone this is otherwise supposedly supposedly blameworthy sexual representation uh reputation jeez i am just not reading well today <laughs> um for editing sake somewhere in here is a good podcast <laughs> <laughs> as i stumble over everything